Hey yo, Cali Green Monster Show. Sports. Stuff. Welcome into another episode of a Cali Green Monster Show. I am your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you here from the Tesla Studios in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. It is Tuesday, June 15th, 2021, and I've got an excellent show lined up for you guys. As always, you know, I want to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, soccer extraordinaire, going to be playing for Portugal upcoming at 9 a.m. Pacific time here in the United States going to be Portugal and Hungary and I feel like a lot of the talk leading up to this match and you know anytime Cristiano Ronaldo has actually been brought up recently I feel like there's a lot of people almost like not realizing he still is one of the top you know five best soccer players in the world so you know I feel like he's almost getting the Tom Brady treatment where people are almost like trying to push him out the door too soon so I want to talk about you know a couple articles and things I've heard about Cristiano Ronaldo that makes me kind of you know scratch my head you know thinking it's a little too early to be calling it on this guy and you know there was some you know have to have some obligatory basketball talk with the NBA playoffs going on. You know, it's not going to be the most in-depth conversation, but I think it's perfect, uh, you know, water cooler talk to be like, hey, let's give my two cents and talk for 45 seconds about basketball. But before I talk about Cristiano Ronaldo and my half-assed conversations about basketball, I want to talk about an interesting essay that George St. Pierre, you know, UFC Hall of Famer, former welterweight, two-time welterweight champion and middleweight champion of the world. You know, he penned an essay recently. It was titled, The UFC Won't Pay You Fairly Unless You Make Them. And it was basically a first-person essay about, you know, his contract negotiations throughout his entire career, or at least UFC career. And I thought it was very insightful. And, you know, I think it's very like insightful for you know current UFC fighters who are trying to negotiate pay and trying to negotiate their contracts and just any athlete in general that's trying to leverage their worth you know rather than signing contracts and then trying to hold out so you know George St. Pierre you know in his essay was talking about in his UFC debut that took place in January of 2004 this was against Caro Parisian he got $3,000 to show up to fight and $3,000 if he won, which he did. And, you know, it's pretty crazy to think that, you know, if he didn't win, you know, $3,000, that's really nothing, you know, because you figure that's that's good maybe for one day's of work. But the amount of, like, for a training camp, you know, you figure he's got to eat throughout that training camp. He's got to be able to pay trainers. Potentially he's got to pay sparring partners. You know, he's got to pay his own rent. So there was no way that in George St. Pierre's early days of a UFC fighter, you know, being a professional cage fighter at the highest level, that he was really making a living that he was able to self-sustain on just his fighting. You know, so he wasn't making very much money. And it was pretty crazy when he talked about for his first title fight against Matt Hughes. So this is for a title fight in the UFC. It was $9,000 to show 
And if he would have won, he would have gotten another $9,000, so $18,000 potentially. But he lost that fight against Matt Hughes. So he only got $9,000 to headline a UFC pay-per-view with Matt Hughes. And, you know, so that's, again, like $9,000 for a night's work. That might sound good. But in the context of, you know, training camps and actually trying to live life as an adult, you know, $9,000 is actually, you know, it's pretty you know, it's, it's kind of, that's bullshit pay. And, you know, but George St. Pierre is talking about like he kept, you know, fighting on these low pay contracts, you know, kept working. And, you know, in 2008, he got his title back from Matt Sarah. And when that happened, he only had two fights left on his contract and the UFC was really pushing to try to re-sign him. And George St. Pierre was really holding true. Like, you know, Hey, you know, almost kind of like, you know, trying to have a poker face by saying, you know, telling the UFC that they don't want to renegotiate until their two fights are up and that they potentially might be looking at other suitors. So they knew that, you know, that George St. George St. Pierre knew that he was in a high leverage situation and knew that, you know, that the UFC was going to want to keep him rather than have him test free agency. And, you know, it really was a gamble on himself because, you know, the UFC could have called his bluff. And had him, you know, he could have fought John Fitch and lost, which could have potentially hurt his earning potential, you know, or if he would have like lost to, you know, lost the last two fights on his contract. It's good luck with your negotiations at that point. But, you know, it really worked out for himself. You know, you know, he took a gamble on himself and it worked out. You know, he talked about right the day before the John Fitch fight, the UFC, the UFC gave him a huge, crazy offer. And so, like, the, this was kind of, I feel like, the money quote when talking about, like, how much money he was getting. And he says, you read that I made about $400,000 a match? No. I made a lot more than that, a lot more than that, millions. When I was at the peak of my career, I was making many million dollars a fight. You know, George St. or not George St. Pierre, uh, Joe Rogan on his podcast before has mentioned that George St. Pierre was making about five million dollars a fight, which is really believable. You know, when he came back in 2017 and fought Michael Bisping for the middleweight title, he made ten million dollars for that fight. So you know, George St. Pierre, you know, is definitely you know they call him the pay-per-view king at least of ufc and you know i feel like with a lot of the discussions right now about the ufc fighter pay you know jake paul of all people you know he finds a way to find his way into every conversation and be you know on everyone's tongue you know jake paul was talking about and always on it has been pushing dana white and tweeting at him about how he doesn't pay his fighters and that you know they're these fighters are making nothing compared to how much a lot of these dudes are making in boxing you know, you look at John Jones, the big fight that we all want to see right now in the UFC is the heavyweight match between Francis and Ghana with John Jones. But that's being held up because John Jones wants to get paid what he's worth. You know, he's pointing out that, you know, Deontay Wilder is making north of $10 million for his pay-per-views. Meanwhile, John Jones is outdrawing Deontay Wilder, you know. So it's like Dana White could point at, you know, the UFC is what people are buying but let's be real it's whoever's headlining these ufcs you know it's like it's definitely the headliners that you know will 
impact the pay-per-view buys. There's a reason why Conor McGregor is as the star that he is and makes the money that he does, you know, besides the the whiskey brand that he has. You know, he he has, sells the most pay-per-views and so he makes the most money and you know, he's at a posi- and you know, he's at a position where he can negotiate, you know, these contracts. And I think that George St. Pierre is basically saying that, you know, these dudes, you know, you got to fight out your contracts and you kind of got to gamble on yourself and then when you're in a position of leverage you know the UFC will pay you you know but you've just got to make you've got to make the UFC pay you you know you look at John Jones you know it he does deserve that kind of pay but also he's stuck in the middle of a contract that he signed at some point where he thought that pay was good and if you look at John Jones's career you know how many contracts has could he have fought through if he would have not had those legal issues you know if he didn't like crash into a pregnant lady and run off with weed and money or you know test positive for cocaine or some steroid metabolite you know so John Jones you know if if he wants to point at his earning potential and not being as good as it you know as it should have been or should be, or he should have made a lot more money. I totally agree, but a lot of it's very self-inflicted. You know, he lost his Nike sponsorship, and you know, so it's and he's lost a lot of fights, and and you know, and being in suspension, you know, those are missed fights with missed pay-per-view dollars. So you know, I think it's you know what George St. Pierre saying is like, hey, if you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing and you keep winning fights and you put yourself in a position, dude, they're going to pay you. So, you know, I kind of, I agree with that. And I think any current UFC fighter who's looking to negotiate a new contract or, you know, looking how they can make more money in the future or any, you know, aspiring MMA fighters that are trying to get in the UFC or just trying to get into a promotion that's not in the UFC, you know, I think that they should take a look at, you know, George St. Pierre's, not just this essay on how he negotiated his contract, but just the blueprint for his career, you know, just, you know, even just looking at how he retired on top, you know, he's retired with his money, with his mental faculties and all about him, you know, I think George St. Pierre, that's why, in my opinion, he's the greatest of all time, you know, I think he was the most all-around fighter and just, you know, had a great career stepped away at the right time and yeah so (laughs) i'm not gonna make this a big old george st pierre love fest right now let's move on we could turn it into a cristiano ronaldo love fest because i'm gonna talk about how i feel like people or at least you know i guess it's more like today on two separate occasions i i saw either an, an article or something on the tv that was pushed like suggesting Cristiano Ronaldo you know a team's should be moving on from him the first one was Juventus you know there was talks about you know him being non-committal about Juventus next season but on the flip side Juventus hasn't been like really not like begging Cristiano Cristiano to stay so it seems like Cristiano might be out of Juventus early and considering a guy that I think is still one of the best dudes and you look at for example Real Madrid they haven't been the same Real Madrid since Ronaldo left so he obviously has an impact on every team and you know considering that Juventus didn't win the Serie A title for the first time in like in years they like I think not having Cristiano Ronaldo would be a you know horrible recipe and it's not just Juventus that people are thinking that you know Ronaldo could move on from or that Juventus could probably be better without Cristiano Ronaldo there was an article today that was pointing out that Portugal 
you know, are they ready to move on from Cristiano Ronaldo? You know, because they have a core of young, really good guys like Diogo Jota and Joao Felix and Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandes. And they're trying, you know, the article is talking about when Ronaldo's not in the game, that these guys can be more free and be able to play. And, you know, I'm kind of, it just reminds me of, you know, Tom Brady, where they were talking about, hey, you know, he's at the end of his career. He can't do what he's, you know, used to be able to do. I think that the young guys and, you know, we should bring in a new person and, you know, it's time to move on. And it's like this guy's still playing at the top of his game, still winning Super Bowls and still, you know, proving that, you know, he's one of the best of all time. Well, in Tom Brady's case, that he is the greatest of all time. And if you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, this season in 44 games across, you know, his Serie A and like all the tournament games, you know, 44 games, he scored 36 goals. You know, that's up there with like, you know, still with like Robert Lewandowski and Lionel Messi and, you know, Holland and Mbappe. So he's still producing at just a high rate as the world's best but you don't hear you know i you know people like cristiano ronaldo don't come around you know even every generation you know cristiano ronaldo is arguably a top three top four soccer player of all time you know you have some people that you know i I think that messi's better and i think at the point you know with anyone else you know it's like you got some people that might say Zinedine Zidane or Pele or Maradona and you know I can't you know judge on those guys because I didn't really watch those guys play you know I I grew up with the generation watching Ronaldo and Messi but you know I feel like you know especially with Portugal right now who's about to be playing in about an hour from the time that I'm recording this podcast right now, you know, trying to suggest that they should be moving on from them. You know, Portugal, I feel feel like for the longest time was a country, you know, or an international team where it was, hey, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. He's going to put the team on his back. You know, Greg Jennings put the team on my back. You know, that was Cristiano Ronaldo all the time. And, you know, they're the defending Euro Cup champions, and I think it's like a big part to do with Cristiano Ronaldo. I think at the end of that tournament last year, he was, you know, started to get pretty hurt. But, you know, I feel like he's definitely a dude that, you know, Portugal has leaned on in the past, and he's still a dude that can produce better than anyone in the world. So, you know, I think it's still premature to be, you know, treating Cristiano Ronaldo like he's a horse that needs to get put out to pasture. I still think he's got a lot of good soccer to be playing. And especially if you look at how well he takes care of his body, you know, that's one of the things that he prides himself on is his main, like the way he maintains his physique and the way he, like he's his durability. So, you know, I think that Cristiano Ronaldo, even at 37 years old, he's someone that can keep playing, you know, even into his forties. So, I, you know, if Juventus wants to move on from him, you know, I'm sure that, you know, Real Madrid would be happy to have him back. You know, would he go join, you know, Paris Saint-Germain and join like Mbappe and Neymar? That would be a crazy connection if they would do that. And, you know, so we'll have to see. But I think that Cristiano Ronaldo still has a lot. And anyone that's writing articles about, you know, is it time to move on from him should, you know, pump the brakes and, you know, wait a few more years on that. Or at least see wait until his production actually starts to fall off because, you know, that's not the case. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that most teams in the world would be pumped to have Cristiano Ronaldo on their team. All right, before we get out of this show, you know, let's do this some obligatory NBA playoff talk. Uh, 
You know, yesterday the Hawks evened up their series against the 76ers, and the big story out of that game is Joel Embiid going 0 for 12 and just completely disappearing in the second half. You know, he has a torn meniscus in his knee, so a lot of people are wondering what is that the you know is that what caused the issue? You know, if you ask Embiid after the game, he was saying that he could tell from the very beginning that he just didn't have it. He just didn't feel as dominant. You know, he at least was you know I think he got 13 points and 10 rebounds in the first half. So you know he was playing you know pretty normal you know you know dominant basketball for Embiid you know but John Collins you know in the second half I feel like he really you know he was the more dominant guy in the second half so you know is that just Embiid you know his knee over time having issues you know he's been pretty dominant this entire series so when you when you consider that for three and a half games Embiid has been pretty dominant you know I think will I'll press pause to judge and see how the 76ers are doing. We'll have to see how game five is. They're going to be going back to Philadelphia for that one. So I guess we'll really kind of see what's going on. But, you know, with Trey Young, the way that he's playing, man, it's like it kind of reminds me of 20 years ago where Allen Iverson is just this stud point guard who's just putting the team on his back. You know, Trey Young, 25 points and 18 assists. So he's proven that he's not just a scorer, like a really a scoring point guard. He can also be a great facilitator. So, man, Trey Young, I feel like he's really, you know, flipped the script on how at least I feel about him. That guy's so fucking good. And, you know, the Hawks have a bright future, you know, if they're building around this guy. And, you know, when there's a guy like that who's, you know, arguably the next Steph Curry – you know, they could potentially be bringing people, you know, down to Atlanta. Atlanta seems like a fun city, and, you know, so we'll see. You know, the Hawks are definitely a team, I think, uh, you know, keep an eye on for the next couple of years. And shit, you know, next couple of years, you never know. They might knock the 76ers out and go to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. And then in the other game yesterday, the Clippers even their series 2-2 um, with the 118-104 win over the Utah Jazz. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George each had 31 points. And the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell, he couldn't get it done with, with his 37 points. I think it wasn't the most efficient shooting performance from him. But, you know, I feel like those are gonna those nights are going to happen from a high-scoring shooting guard. You know, Kobe Bryant had plenty of those nights. You know, it's you – know, a lot of people are pointing out that Mike Conley not being there for the Utah Jazz is a big issue and how much the series is going to change if he comes back. You know, but he's being hobbled by a hamstring. And I feel like, you know, with hamstring issues, those are things that it, it, it takes a long time to finally come back from 100%. So, you know, if Conley is feeling 100%, you know, maybe the Jazz are going to make, you know, be able to knock the Clippers out. Me personally, I think the Clippers are the team to to watch like coming out of the West now. It's crazy how much, you know, things change over the weeks. You know, just a few weeks ago, I thought Los Angeles Lakers were going to be the team from L.A., you know, running the West and representing the West for the, you know, the Western Conference Final or the, you know, for the finals representing the Western Conference. But, you know, I think I'm leaning more the Clippers now. You know, I think Kawhi Leonard, he's someone who's proven he could put a team on his back. You know, he's done that in Toronto. And I feel like there's been moments in these playoffs where they've been down and, you know, he's shown up and put on some amazing performances. So, you know, I, I'm riding with Kawhi Leonard, and I think that, you know, the Clippers, they're going to be able to get this series done, and I think they'll be able to get it done in six, you know, in six games, you know, so talking about hamstring issues, you know, that's something with 
the Brooklyn Nets. James Harden's having issues with his hamstring. So, you know, in addition to his hamstring, you got Kyrie Irving, who's going to be missing game five with the ankle sprain. So, you know, the Brooklyn Nets, who, man, like I said, that you know, how, how things change so quickly in these playoffs. I thought they were going to run the East no problem, and they were going to go on their way to an NBA title. But, you know, that's only if you can stay healthy. And, man, that injury bug has bit this team. And we'll have to see if Kevin Durant, you know, this is his, this is still his first year back from a torn Achilles. Will he be able to you know will this Brooklyn Nets team you know past this pretty tough Milwaukee Bucks team? You know I'm gonna take a a, the, a more well-rounded, healthy Bucks team over a hurt and depleted Brooklyn Nets team with Kevin Durant by himself. So we'll see how that plays out. You know, as for this show, that's all I got for you guys. You know, anyone that takes the time to actually download and listen to this podcast, you know, especially if you've made it to this point in the podcast, you know, I, I really appreciate it. You know, if you actually enjoyed what you listened to, you know, be a friend, tell a friend, but until next time, guys, I've been your host, Dean Ryan. This has been a Cali green monster show. Have a great one guys. Peace.